Welcome to the Covenant Journey Podcast. We hope to inform, inspire, and encourage you to deepen your faith, knowledge, and love of our Lord Jesus as we explore the timeless treasures of the Bible. Join us now as we explore God's Word. On today's Covenant Journey Bible Podcast, we will conclude our series in the book of Revelation. I'm Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Covenant Journey. Just to recap before we begin in chapters 21 and 22 and conclude our journey through the book of Revelation, let's go back to chapter 1. Remember, as I began chapter 1, I mentioned that we're going to be coming to the end, and this shows the bookends, that the book of Revelation begins with Jesus, it ends with Jesus, and Jesus is throughout the book of Revelation. Chapter 1 is the revelation of by and about from Jesus Christ. He's the one giving the revelation. It's a revelation about him to his apostle John, who is exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And this is where this is given to him and where he writes the book of Revelation. And in this particular vision, we begin with this up and down sequence, this motif, heaven and earth where it begins in heaven and then changes to earth. The scene changes again, back to heaven. The scene changes back to earth, and it goes up and down, almost if you were closing the curtain on one scene and opening the curtain on the next scene, which is now set either in heaven or is set on earth. Chapter 1 begins with the scene set in heaven, and it's a picture of Jesus walking among the various candlesticks. The lights uh, by these candles, Jesus is walking in between and around them. They are interpreted as being the seven churches to which the book of Revelation was written, the seven churches in Asia. And that is chapter 1. Chapters 2 and 3 closes the curtain and opens them on earth, and that is the letter that is specifically mentioning each of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. The curtain closes, chapters 4 and 5 begin, and that's where you have the heavenly scene. Chapter 4 is the Father sitting on the throne, surrounded by worship. Chapter 5 is the scroll in the Father's hand, has the future destiny contained therein. It is chuck full of information, but no one is worthy to open the scroll, and it has seven seals on the outside of that scroll that you have to undo and open each one before you can open the contents. It's something that John wants to be able to read, but no one is willing, or I should say capable, because they're not worthy to open those seals except for one, and that is the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who was ultimately crucified, died, and resurrected. He's the one who paid the penalty for our sins. So there you have a real focus on the centrality of Jesus in the book of Revelation. He comes forth and he begins to open one seal, then the next seal. He gets to the sixth seal. Things are very difficult. As he is opening the first seal, you begin with chapter 6, and we're back down on earth. These different seals open until you get to the sixth seal. Things get very difficult, and what ultimately happens is the question is who, under these circumstances on earth, will be able to stand? 
the curtain closes again, it reopens again in heaven, and the answer to that is those who are sealed. The 144,000, which is the symbolic number of a complete number of Jews from all the tribes of Israel, except for, obviously, Dan is not mentioned. That's another whole study on Samson and the tribe of Dan in the Old Testament. But also an innumerable number of people from every tribe and nation, those are the Gentiles. Those who will be able to stand are those who have the seal of God, who follow Jesus Christ. Those will be able to stand through no matter what difficulty they face. And then the seventh seal opens, and you then continue to move through the rest of the book of Revelation. We got to uh, chapters 19 and 20 uh, last time, and in chapter 20, of course, is the passage with regards to the defeat of Satan and the ultimate judgment. There's two judgments. There's obviously, uh, there's the judgment of those who did not follow the Lord, and there's, I should say, the opposite, which is the banquet, those who are invited to the banquet, the ultimate banquet with the presence of the Lord. And those are the ones who are faithful to the end, those who have the seal of the living God. We now move to a scene that merges heaven and earth, which is an interesting pattern. You start off in heaven, you move to earth, you go back to heaven, go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Remember, in each one of these situations, when things get really difficult on earth, the curtain closes, and we are now into the next scene, and that next chapter will take us to a heavenly scene. And it reminds you that God's still on the throne, Jesus is still alive and well, He is the ruler, the Lord of lords, the beginning and the end, the author of life, He has everything under His control, He is the one who is unfolding human history, it is in His hands under his authority, the curtain closes, comes back to earth. Now we're in chapters 21 and 22, and it begins in heaven, but then transfers in the midst of the chapter to earth. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away." And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, those passages right there really bring 
a lot of different phrases and remembrances from the Gospels. It is done. Remember, Jesus said that on the cross. It is finished. That he came to dwell with men. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that he pitched his tent. He inhabited human flesh, which is John chapter 1. Philippians talks about how he became a servant, became a human being. Divine, yes, but fully human. Inhabited our existence to pay the penalty of sin. Much of this really harkens back to that language that reminds us of Jesus Christ, which the book of Revelation is a revelation by him, about him, and from him. Verse 9, chapter 21. Then came one of the angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. This is the angel that actually poured out those bowls that had the uh, destructive power that ultimately plagued the earth during those particular plagues, kind of reminiscent of what happened in Egypt. This now same angel comes forth and wants to show John the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a high wall with twelve gates. And at the gates, twelve angels, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And it goes and it talks about all the different gates in this holy city of Jerusalem. He also measures this city. It's a perfect cube. It speaks of 12,000 stadia. Stadia is a Roman measurement, typically somebody's foot. It's kind of like a mile marker, but they would measure out this in stadiums or in various kinds of uh, arenas or just in the roads by foot, after foot. You know, if you're familiar with horses, you talk about that horse is 15 hands high, 18 hands high. You measure based upon the width of your hand. A stadia is the length of your foot. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits. It's a complete cube. This is a sort of reminder of the original tabernacle or the place of worship that God ultimately gave as a sandbox illustration of the plan of salvation. But there is no temple here. This is the city. It's not a temple. It's not the place where in the scriptures there was sacrifices. Those sacrifices are gone. The ultimate sacrifice was given in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, chapter 21. And I saw no temple in the city. Why? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The presence of Jesus Christ is what illuminates everything. The Lamb in this context is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. By its light... Uh, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day, and there shall be no night there. 
What does it mean that there will never be shut? It means that there's no reason to shut the gates. The reason why you shut the gates is for security. You shut the gates to keep your adversaries from attacking. But that is a point of the past history. There is absolute peace and security in the presence of the Lord. We are with the ultimate temple. We are with God Almighty and the Lamb. It speaks of uh, chapter 22, uh, where there's more of this description of this vision. Now, trying to imagine this, but putting it into these physical forms really doesn't give justice to what we're talking about. You understand, we only have physical things to make analogies with. And so the angel is communicating to John in things that John may know about. The city, the different kinds of crystals or jewels or gems. It is incredible in terms of what it looks like. He's never seen anything like this before. When I was uh, working just after high school in an undeveloped part of the world, I remember uh, talking to somebody who lived there about snow when it got cold. And I'm talking about cold might be 70 degrees, 60 degrees. It didn't ever snow there. They didn't have electricity. There's no place for ice. So you can't go into your freezer and say, you know the thing that is on the inside of your freezer, that kind of uh, crystallizing of water that falls from the sky, it's snow. So when <clears throat> in a place like that, you try to say your sins will be like snow, white as snow, they don't know what you're talking about. So when you're translating the Bible in people's indigenous language, you have to understand what they're talking about. For us, yes, we understand what snow is. For some people, they have no clue in some of these remote parts of the world what snow is. So we are being able to look at these uh, earthly things that we're familiar with to cry, try to get a little glimpse of what God is trying to envision us. By and large, you're never going to be able to comprehend what God has prepared for us. It is much greater than anything in our physical world, no matter how magnificent it can ultimately be pictured. So don't get boxed in even to try to draw the diagram. What the point of this is, is this is a perfect union where we're walking with God the Father and the Lamb. And there's no need for artificial light because the very presence of the Lamb gives us light, and there's no need for the temple because we are in the presence of our Creator and our Redeemer. Now, it continues on. Verse 7, chapter 22. And behold, the angel says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down. Now, he fell down because he was just overwhelmed. The angel says, don't fall down. You have to worship only God. He said to me, verse 10, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Where did we hear that in the book of Revelation? In chapter 1. 
So it begins in chapter 1 with the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It's throughout the book of Revelation, and we end with that in chapter 22. It's an amazing passage, chapters 21 and 22. Let me just conclude with a few more scriptures at the very end. The writer of the gospel or the writer of the book of Revelation through the inspiration of the Spirit, verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, "Come and let the one who hears say, "Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Let him come. And in verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Now I know we took a high view of the book of Revelation. In some places we were able to dig in a little bit deeper. In some places the book of Revelation specifically gives you what the symbols mean. That's indisputable. In other places, the symbols are not interpreted. You have to extrapolate from them. There's different views about the timing and what it ultimately points to, past, present, future. But again, as I mentioned at the beginning, it is a fruitful study for any Christian. And I encourage people not to shy away from reading the book of Revelation. And whenever you get bogged down in anything, Remember that the book of Revelation is a revelation by, from, and about our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is throughout the book of Revelation. Remember that he's always in control. He's always on the throne no matter what happens on earth, no matter what happens in your own personal life. The curtain will open up in the book of Revelation to give you that vision of God still being in control and that Jesus paid the price. No matter what happens, remember that it says that there is a time coming where we'll be able to come to the banquet and we'll, we'll be in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ forever. There's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. All those former things are gone. There's no more artificial day and night because the Lamb is the light and we are there with Him for eternity. That is the promise of the book of Revelation. In between, when things might be difficult, the book of Revelation encourages us to stay close to Jesus, be faithful to him as he was faithful to us. We be faithful to him. He will not let you down. Continue to press in. Read more about our Lord, not only in the book of Revelation, but in the entire word of God. It is a fruitful and blessed study and an opportunity that we have to open the scriptures on a daily basis and commune with our Lord Jesus Christ. As we conclude... Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. For more information, visit covenantjourney.org. You've been listening to the Covenant Journey podcast. We hope that we have informed, inspired, and encouraged you to deepen your faith, knowledge, and love for our Lord Jesus as we've explored the Word of God. Visit covenantjourney.org where you can obtain additional notes and information to enhance your study of the Scriptures. The website again is covenantjourney.org. You can also email us at cj at covenantjourney.org. Share this podcast with your friends. Visit covenantjourney.org.